Welcome to Let's Face the Facts. I'm David Almeida, and I'm your host for this rewatch podcast for the classic sitcom, The Facts of Life. I'm an actor in Orlando, Florida, and every week I bring you some of the greatest talent in the Central Florida arts community. Join us as we synopsize, analyze, criticize, and ultimately idolize the show, episode by episode. Hey guys, welcome back. It's another week, another Wednesday, another show. Thank you for downloading and pressing play. I'm recording this intro on my phone outdoors, so you may hear planes and cars and trains and automobiles and all kinds of crazy stuff here, but I really wanted to get the episode done and uploaded quickly. So before we get started, I do need to talk about this newest tragedy that has befallen the Facts of Life community where the Roku channel now, as of December 1st, has switched to only carrying seasons 7, 8, and 9. So we're back to dailymotion.com. They're the edited down syndicated episodes. They've all got three minutes missing, but I mean, I'm glad we at least have that and the ability to stream them somewhere. Uh, But like I have said before, it seems the only way to truly have these on demand is to buy the entire series on DVD. And, uh, well, I mean, Christmas is coming. Ask your loved ones. If they truly love you, they will get them for you. Anyhow, moving on to this week, my guest is DJ Salisbury. DJ is a good friend of mine. He is a director, choreographer, actor, singer, dancer, writer. He, he does it all, and he's done it all. He's worked on Broadway, he's done national tours, and we're lucky enough that he's recently decided to make Orlando his home base. So uh, that is awesome. This week, DJ and I watched Season 6, Episode 4, My Boyfriend's Back. And the original air date was October 24th of 1984. I think we're ready to jump on in. Let's face the facts with DJ Salisbury. DJ Salisbury, welcome. It is so great to finally get you on the show. Oh my gosh. We've been friends for a while here, and from the first time we we met up, I was like, oh, this guy, uh, first of all, you're the proper age range that you know what we're talking about. We talk <laughs> about the facts reference. of life. Frames of reference. Yeah, because like me, you are also 29-ish. Yes. Yeah, and we Ish. watched the reruns. We watched the reruns after school. Yeah, in, in vitro in the 90s. We That's how we watched the reruns, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. You were airing some uh, concerns a moment ago. I have questions. You have questions about the show, and you were saying uh, that you were nervous about I'm being nervous. on yeah. the show. Podcasting is serious, yo. It's- <laughs> I, see, I feel like it is so low pressure because you're People just talking. Uh, it's scary. Yeah, but fa- thankfully, I don't have a very big listenership, so don't worry about okay. that. It's not like but it's I'm, going I'm out much, to... I'm much less anxious then. I'm much yeah. Less... yeah, and I feel like removing the visual, I would be so self-conscious if people were also looking at me, if there was... Also, like, like even though we're doing this, I'm pretty much exclusively doing this on Zoom. I could record this as video sure. and post it on YouTube. Yeah. Not going to happen. Yeah, I did shave for our audio only. Did you? <laughs> <laughs> so if you brush up against the microphone, 
We won't even know. Just so smooth, like satin. <laughs> Very nice. I have a day's worth of stubble. I have not showered. Uh, I will be showering after we Thank talk, you. but I had enough uh, going on. And again, smell-o-vision hasn't been invented yet. That's Until right. that time, not going to worry about it. Zoom will probably make it happen sooner than anybody else. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, you said you have questions. Then let's start getting to it. First of all, we uh, the, the housekeeping of this is we just watched season six, episode four, My Boyfriend's Back. Mm-hmm. And uh, the original air date was October 24th of 1984. It was written by Bob Meyer and Bob Young. They wrote last week's show. They are producers. They're in the writer's room, they are, they are in this. And we see them and their scripts very frequently throughout the show. And directed by old faithful Asad Kelada, as he continues being their in-house director, though that is going to change as this season progresses. Ah. So yes, so did you actually, let's, let's be, let's get real here, okay. We're, we're close in age. Did you watch the show, DJ, when you were growing up in the first run? I did. I was not uh, an ardent fan, so I can't say that I was like, I gotta be home to watch Facts of Life. Um, And then I think I caught syndication episodes as well. But this episode would have been when I was a junior in college. Yes. Oh. Yeah. So so I was probably not watching. uh, And as I actually, interesting watching this episode, I'm like, oh, they all have breasts and they're, (laughs) they're, they're. they're not the ones I remember because I watched <laughs> kids. Yeah. Andrea Canny was saying that last week, that she yeah. was like, "What? where did the school go? I thought they were little girls. Right? And it's like, no, this show ran for nine seasons, DJ. Amazing. And yet they were still sleeping in the same bedroom. What? Mm-hmm. Really? And, and they were still virgins till almost the very, very end. Yeah. Really? Crazy. Yeah. Crazy. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that comes into play here because this yes. is this is kind of sort of a very special episode, but it's not really touted or billed as such. But it's as close as we get to talking about these girls having mm-hmm. sex until much much later in the run. And literally, the title of the show is uh, "The Facts of Life." Yeah. So, I thought, well, that's interesting. It's been a while. They took a while to get here, but now they're actually talking about one of the facts of life. <laughs> yes. Uh, when you said the title of the show, I thought you meant My Boyfriend's Back. And I was thinking, yeah, they could have called it My Boyfriend's Front. Ha-ha! Ah, ooh, yeah. Yep. <laughs> so I have questions. Can I ask my questions? You have questions. I am here to give you answers. I, 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 I did my homework, and then I'm like, I don't understand. Because, again, I, I did not get to these seasons Mm-hmm. Uh, in in my in its first run, so when they open this particular episode and they're baking croissants for mm-hmm. customers, I went back three episodes. That's my dog. She's she barks at nothing. Hi Gemma. Uh, Gemma. Hi Gemma. What are you barking at? Nothing. Um, <laughs> she senses you through Zoom, probably. And so she loves me. And yes, she loves you. Well. I went back to three, the season six. There's no, there's no bakery. The, where, where did this business come from? There's an episode <laughs> about Joe making pizzas. Yeah, that happened a couple weeks there's, ago. This is 
uh, last season and this season, this is the format. This is the Edna's Edibles seasons. That's what her business is called. Got it. Well, it, it was interesting because in the, the start of the season, I looked, I, I really like clipped through the episodes looking for anything about the business and there's nothing. Uh, and no. So, and, and then there's a little bit about Joe baking pizzas. I'm like, well, it looks like a, a business kitchen that Joe is baking her pizzas in, but still nothing about Mrs. Garrett and her shop and nothing. No. And then they're baking croissants. And apparently... With these baking the croissants, which happens right at the top of the episode, um, they she has given people coupons, coupons as they say, yeah, uh, for a free croissant, and nobody's buying anything, but they get it, they come in just for their free croissant. Yeah, I mean, and let me just tell you, when they run out of croissants, it's a clatch of Karens saying, "But I have a coupon." Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's like 1980s Karens step right up. Oh my God! But I have a coupon. Yeah. And it was and, so weird when they threatened to give her a bad review on Yelp. I'm like, no one even knew what that meant back then. Wow. How ahead of its but, time. Well, and then just to go down that path a little bit before we get to My Boyfriend's Back, the real theme of the show. Yeah. Um, then when we come back around to the next morning when they these people return on a Sunday morning to get their croissants. And Blair brings out the microwaved croissants yeah that are flat and do, they don't properly rise yeah, yeah and yeah i'm sure they're not at all good and yet they still give them away and i'm like thinking natalie says give them to him anyway and you go like well this is not going to be good for business when people eat these terrible croissants yes but they do it anyway they give them away anyway and then <laughs> one like, woman oh. After Mrs. Garrett complains about the fact that everyone's coming in for the free one and they're not buying anything else. It's like, yeah, you need to say on your coupon explicitly free with purchase there uh, you go. as as supplies last or supplies are limited. Yeah. It's like, and wow. Are limited. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It's like you really screwed that up. But at the enough. end, they sell one jar of, is it raspberry preserves? Where one woman says, while I'm here, I'll get a jar of... Sounds like my <laughs> Mrs. Garrett voice. But, well, yeah. Yeah. Probably her sister. It was probably her sister. But the, the thing is, like, at the you, you are 100% right that this flimsy B story of this episode... And this uh, Facts of Life typically doesn't do A story, B story. This is uh, uh, not common. It's not uh -huh. unheard of. It's just not how they typically work. And uh, Mrs. Garrett's story of this kerfuffle with the coupons where uh, okay so the the resolution is that you sell one jar of preserves and people walk out with shitty croissants and that's that's good yeah it's yeah it's it's, it's just so odd it's very odd yeah. um and then okay so i gotta talk about too that my favorite moment my favorite moment mm -hmm. was the very first line natalie says to blair what a what a great weekend for Joe to, for Joe to go away. Uh, uh, she's at home with her mother who broke her arm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm like, the writers immediately let us know that actor is not in this episode at nope. all. Nope, nope. Like that is so funny. It was like like the first line. Joe's not here. What a terrible time for her to be gone. Her mother yeah. broke her arm. And then of course Natalie has no compassion, zero compassion. <laughs> no. <laughs> he says, "What's the big deal about a mother with a broken arm?" Jeez. Like, great, Jeez. Natalie. Great. Yeah, she's only a waitress. She could serve with her other hand, you expect it, her to say. Amazing. 
And yeah. in fact, I thought Natalie, you know, again, I remember Natalie being the cute nerdy girl. Mm -hmm. you know, her, that was her sort of uh, place yeah. in the boy back. crazy. Mm -hmm. Boy crazy and, and nerdy girl, you know, mm -hmm. and cute nerdy girl. And now she's like sarcastic and cutting. Like, <laughs> yeah. happened to Natalie. She got all sarcastic and cutting. Oh, I okay. I could see that a little bit in this episode. There are there are yeah. times of all the girls, and we we had this problem just last week with uh, with the Andrea episode that I did with her. Is that uh, Natalie's ethics are constantly being presented to us as highly questionable? Yeah, as far as what she will do to get what she wants versus uh, what is quote unquote right. Uh-huh. And uh, yeah, this is kind of feeding into that, the whole thing of, uh, yeah, so Joe's not there. <laughs> yeah. And her mom broke her arm and who cares? <laughs> yeah, who cares? It's like we needed her help because because Tootie's boyfriend's coming into town. It's crazy around here. Crazy. Well, so now it's the boyfriend, right? The boyfriend. Yeah, exactly. And uh, so let me fill you in some additional information there. You know why Joe is not in this episode, DJ? Oh, please tell me. I, I knew there had to be a good reason. This is actually, in spite of being episode four in broadcast sequence, this was the first episode they filmed for season six. Oh. Nancy McKeon was in contract talks and oh. they did not... Uh, had they had not quite rectified the issues yet. And so there are two episodes that don't have Nancy McKeon in them. The first two, I guess. The the first two well, well, the first two they filmed and then they got it squared away. But then they took those first two and put them later in the broadcast order so that you don't really notice. So we've already had three episodes that Joe has been a part of. Uh, but this was actually the first one coming back from summer hiatus and yeah so Maybe thankfully they were that 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 the whole looking when i look back in the season and didn't see anything about the the shop it makes mm -hmm. more sense that if this were the first episode uh coming after a previous season where you really got set up about the bakery the the good gourmet foods because mm -hmm. it's just like this is weird where'd this come from you are you are so right and as typical sitcoms go from the era i'm constantly asking uh who's minding the store we have a whole plot going on with all the characters in the back of the house in the middle of the day it's like who is running the store and if they're not running the store who is in the kitchen creating all the baked goods that we know need to be ready to be in the store when it is open so it's one would hope for it to be a little bit better integrated into all of the stories. But you yeah. are totally right that in their minds, they're thinking, well, we got the basis covered if anyone isn't sure about the premise of the show. Right. But wow. Yeah. Now, uh, DJ, we've already talked a bit about some stuff, but I typically start the show by putting my guest on the spot oh. and asking you if you would provide just a one to two sentence, very brief synopsis of the entire episode, just like the listing you might have seen in TV Guide at the time. I think it's it's really focuses on uh, Tootie deciding that she feels like she's being treated like a child uh, by people that she wants to identify with i.e. the people in college, i.e. her boyfriend. And therefore she starts questioning whether or not she has to, putting it frankly, put out to <laughs> be considered an adult. Mm -hmm. That's what it's about. So it really is the facts of life. It's an interesting thing that- like, Yes. 
she's really contemplating. Um, we can go down that path a little later about you know what she decides to do. It's kind of interesting. Yeah. To me. But you're you're right that it's dealing with Tootie and and Tootie has dealt with this before as far as being the baby of the group, as being the youngest. Now, in the earlier seasons, there was a wider gap. The girls' ages were indeterminate. And Kim Fields uh, is, at the moment, one year younger than the age she is playing. Tootie is 16. Kim Fields is 15. That had been previously a two-year gap. They de-aged her somewhere in season four. Both uh, Tootie and Natalie were de-aged a year. Uh, but um, in the early seasons, the first season, uh, Kim Fields was 10, playing 12. What? That's a huge, huge Why? gap. Why? Having having a 10-year-old play a 12-year-old. Yeah. And, and she did not look 12. She did not look mature. She looked like a child. Yeah, and yeah. you remember the roller skates? It's because she was so short. They needed the roller skates to add height to her. Yeah, yeah. So um, she was it's- still short. She still, <laughs> she still is, yeah. Small. They're small people. Yeah, not as short as Mrs. Garrett. Mrs. Garrett is still the shortest of the bunch. Amazing. And uh, yeah, so um, so this falls right into that. So we have often dealt with this thing of them treating Tootie as the baby, as not mature. They've done it in a not very subtle way in some episodes, but um, I just, I realized in my microscopic dissections, I often kind of forget to give the, the forest as opposed to the trees. Yeah. And the forest, I do want to say is, we've already been somewhat critical of this B story, but I like this episode. I like the A story and I like what it's doing. And I, I don't say this often. I do think the execution of it was pretty good. Uh-huh. Yeah. No. For yeah. a Facts of Life episode. <laughs> <laughs> Qualified. Qualified. Yeah. <laughs> No, I would say it's pretty um, straightforward. You you go on the journey easily. There's no, nothing that's confusing about the A story with Tootie and the boyfriend. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, yeah. So the episode does start in the store with the pandemonium over the croissants and these coupons. And you want to know what would have been a nice little uh, integrating moment here when Natalie is saying to Mrs. Garrett, well, you should have put that on the coupon that they only get one or that they have to buy something. Kind of sarcastic. Yeah, again, being catty and sarcastic and non, no sympathy, no empathy, no. Natalie. Yeah. <laughs> she could have said, um, well, Joe usually looks these things over. That Joe's absence and Joe being the sort of de facto oh, yeah. store manager, Joe would have caught that. That would not have uh -huh. happened without... Uh -huh. Joe would have said, no, you got to say free with purchase and you got to say supplies are limited. Right. One per <laughs> household... Yeah, and lady, if you think of getting a croissant for your fucking baby, I got a knuckle sandwich that you can have too. You know, Joe cursed all the time and they just believed that. They just edited it out. <laughs> totally. So, yes, we learned Joe is out of town. The shop is great. I mean, it is pandemonium. I meant to count how many people. There was like a dozen people there, weren't there? Like that. There were at least eight. Yeah, a lot. There were at least eight. And all of them with a coupon. All of them. Yeah. So it's crazy. But then we quickly learn that it's chaos and pandemonium also because Tootie can't fully devote her time to it because she's preparing for the return of her boyfriend, Jeff. Yes. And uh, basically, 
as things die down, the store closes, the people leave because there are no more croissants yeah, no to more. give them. So then Jeff shows up. Tootie's upstairs getting ready, but we get to see him and uh, meet everybody. And his biceps, which they, which they talk about a lot. Mm -hmm. And then they show us later, we get to see him shirtless. I Thank you very much. But um, the actor is Todd Hallowell, sometimes oh. billed as Todd Hollowell. And oh. uh, he shares a name with a, a director, a Hollywood director. And the director, I think, is still fairly active. Todd Hollowell, this actor kind of falls off the radar after a while. And there's never. no real evidence of what he's been up to lately. Yeah, never, never saw him before. Yeah, I love him. I think he is the perfect addition to the show. I think his demeanor is right. They they greet him with so much love. He is so much a part of the family because this is his third appearance in this character. This is the yeah. third time he will make a total of eight appearances on the show oh. as Jeff. Uh, and in addition to those eight appearances as Jeff, way back in season three, he was on the show as a different character, as a boy that was interested in Tootie. Oh no! A character named Zach. So that's what my boyfriend's back means. I know. <laughs> my <laughs> other boyfriend is back, the, the evil twin or whatever. Opportunity missed. They could have done a multiple personality. Totally. What is, oh, I'm sorry, what's it called? D, 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 A, D, A, D, D, I, D. Disassociative Identity Disorder, I think is Perfect. the is the 21st uh, correct term for what we used to call yes. yeah, Sybil uh, syndrome. They could have done that. But yeah, when I saw it talk about my brain exploding, I was like, what, that's, that's Jeff, that's him, right? And they call him Zach. And I'm like, what the fuck is happening? And of course I'm thinking, am I such a goddamn racist that I can't tell the difference oh, between this yeah. actor and this other actor? And I'm like, they're the same. It's I'm the not same a racist. Person. It's the same yeah. person. Oh, thank God, I'm a good white person. Um, <laughs> An imperfect ally. <laughs> oh, what a beautiful word. It's a good, it's a good term. That's a good word. Uh, so future spoilers, by the way, oh. as the show progresses, we're in season six. The show goes on for nine seasons. Uh, in uh, this episode, spoiler, they're going to break up. They're not going to be together good. by the end of this episode. We pretty oh, much yeah. laid that out. Uh, in two and a half years, he is going to be back at the end of season eight, and they're gonna get back together. What? At the beginning of season nine, he will propose. What? By the end of season nine, Joe gets married, and both Tootie and I think technically Natalie, both of them are engaged to their boyfriends. Wow. Yeah, and so- The facts of life. The facts of life. No, no babies, no babies ever, right? Any oh, babies ever? there is more. <gasps> In the reunion movie in 2001, we do see that Tootie has a daughter named Tisha. She looks yeah. like she's about 10 years old or whatever, but there's no mention of Tootie's husband. And then later in the movie, when they're having a heart to heart, Tisha's misbehaving, Tootie's doing that thing. And Tootie is called Dorothy now, her adult name. So Dorothy is doing the motherly thing of, why don't you talk to me? We never connect and what's going on with you? And Tisha in beautiful, TV movie style fashion says, mom, you're never home. And Dorothy says, I work crazy hours so that you can live comfortably uh -huh. and you can go to a good school. And then Tisha says, and so you can forget that daddy died. <gasps> what? And then Dorothy is like, yeah, so I can forget how much I miss him. 
Now, I thought she named him by name. She does not name the father by name, but she goes on to say, sweetie, I've loved your daddy since I was 16. He was the love of my life. Jeff died. She does take a picture out uh, for Tisha to see of her and her dad, and it's an African-American gentleman holding a baby. It's not Todd Hallowell. It's a different actor person. I wonder but, if it's not the actual dad of the young actress that it was, oh, yeah, can you use probably. a picture with my daddy in it kind of a thing? It's but gotta be Jeff. It's gotta be Jeff. Was. There is no question. If she's loved we him since he was 16. We wanna know what happened to him. Yeah. What happened, Jeff? And, <laughs> and if you want one more layer of what the fuck is happening, DJ, when we, we first met Jeff, when they first connected and started dating, that was the illiteracy episode. <gasps> He what? was being wooed by colleges on football scholarships okay. left and right, star player, quarterback, but he oh. couldn't read or write. Oh my goodness. And his oh. classmates, and uh, they even allude to even some of his teachers were helping him. I'm making air quotes here uh-huh. by giving him the answers to the tests. Oh. Some, somehow he was able to memorize them. I guess they were reading them to him. Somehow, as an illiterate, he was able to fill in the the bubbles on the test. It's it's a very nebulous, I'm illiterate episode. Would have been nice if it had been more about dyslexia, like I have trouble reading and writing. Right. But we they an issue that we now know how to take care of, and they're yeah they didn't have the vocabulary back then certainly. So we we cut them a little bit of slack, but um the deal is we never hear of that again. We never hear whether sure. or not there was ever any issue. And now we learn that he's going to Penn State on a football scholarship. Uh-huh. So it's just like, great, guess he learned how to read. Woohoo! And, and they, there's one mention of like uh, the coaches sort of talking to me about my, essentially about my grades, not specifically grades, but like he has to do well academically as well. Yeah. And that's typical for a, a, yeah. an athletic scholarship. That's. Uh, uh, we could go down that path. Why now? Really? Why? Yeah. They're there because they play sports well. They're money makers for the schools. I'm sorry, it's my soapbox. Yeah. Well, they're they're, they're getting paid now. To make the didn't, didn't they're getting paid now? It's just crazy. Yeah, that's a new thing where they're getting it's paid crazy. now. So it's like, well, uh, well, isn't a scholarship? They're making this money. Yeah. Like, like so, my my my. I always say like because of course I got a performing arts degree because that's really valuable, mm. and. The question is like, you know, you and I love school. I love learning various things. But in the end, if you're there to play football well, why do they even have to go to class in any other subject? You know what I mean? Especially now if they're being paid, they're yeah. now professional football players. Just let them be that. The school can still make all the money that they're going to make because that's yeah. all they're there for. So that this pretense that it's about, act, they have to keep up their grades too. It's just a pretend, yeah. it's not pretend. Sorry, I, off my soapbox. Off your soapbox. I will only partially agree with you there because I feel like the, I don't think they should be paid. It's like their scholarship is their no, pay. No, I don't either. I really don't. To I me, don't. the scholarship is their pay. And it's like, and by the way, we're paying you to have a profession and the ability to earn a living doing something after you have had your head slammed into the ground 45 times in a row over 10 years, and you are not able to play football after That's you're 30. That's what Jeff died of. CTE. Da- oh, my God. Oh, my God. I'm he went on to certain. be a professional. 
holy shit, that's it. Yeah. That's the folklore that's we have decided. That's You're it. totally right. It has to be. Yeah. So no sooner does Jeff come in and we meet his two friends. They are the ones that he is staying with. It's his friend, Rich Thompson, also from Penn State. And Rich Thompson is dating this girl named Ellen Carter, who is a student at Langley, where Blair and Joe go. We even learn that she and Blair are in a, a class together. Yes. Rich is uh, played by actor John Terleski. He has 44 acting credits, tons of little guest one-offs in very high-profile network shows uh, in the 80s and 90s. But since 98, he has moved into producing, writing, and tons of directing. Well, look at that then. He has directing credits, including things like Criminal Minds, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Castle, How to Get Away with Murder. That's good like, stuff. That's high-profile shit. So Go this rich. actor with the gigantic gigantic amazing jawline i will add lantern jaw <laughs> wow not since you have i seen a jawline oh, like that dj yeah. oh, he's <laughs> at the vapors but well look at that for that moment it, it made me uncomfortable yeah some in a stranger's home they're they're in their friend's friend's home not even yes. their home and they and start they, sucking face thing. i'm like I mean, this is so uncomfortable. I'm so uncomfortable. Who does that? Nobody. Yeah. PDA extreme. Yeah. And it's like, you couldn't have done this out in the car. You couldn't have given him a handy in the car before you came in. And well, really? And this, I may be jumping the gun here, but then we learn that they actually live together. So not that they, not that they, not that they live up. together. Well, but they're shacking up. Yeah. Well, the, the device of this, the, the, the mechanical plot purpose of this is that it's happening in front of Blair, but uh -huh. not in front of Tootie. So later, when Tootie is having her doubts about her compatibility with Jeff, uh, she does happen to mention in passing that Jeff is staying with... Uh, Rich? Yeah, Jeff is staying with Rich in somebody's dorm room next to where... Ellen stays and basically Blair based on the behavior she saw she I'm paraphrasing here but basically Blair's like uh, the guys are not sharing a room too right. right it's like Jeff is alone and the two others are fucking yeah without a doubt they are right. so fucking although it and, was and maybe you're right that she in witnessing the PDA the, these necking in the in a stranger's house she assumed that that would be true. It felt a little weird when Blair said, oh, there's, they're, they, they're in the same, they're sleeping together. They're yeah. shacking up. I'm like, where did you get that information, Blair? Where did you, who told yeah. you that? It we is really a leap. It is a leap. But a at the leap. same time, you're like, if they are so comfortable sucking face in the yeah. middle of a room where other people are like, it's not like they're standing in a corner. It's like they're in the middle of a conversation. It's so so weird. So it's like, okay, if they can't keep their tongues off of each other in uh -huh. this setting, do we yeah. really think they're going to be in neighboring rooms right. in an overnight stay when they, like Tootie and Jeff, have not seen each other for three months? Uh -huh. So yeah. I think that's what the purpose of that was. But I guess so, yeah. Yeah. But there's further discomfort when Tootie does come down. She and Jeff are all happy to see each other. But as they're making plans and the sort of how do you do's and nice to meet you's with the others, they're a little cool to Tootie. And you can tell it's one of those like, oh, wow, she's a kid, isn't she? She's young. There is a little bit of an awkward 
them talking about choosing a major and Tootie being like, what's the big deal with picking a major in college? Why is everyone freak out over it? And Ellen does say, well, if you don't pick a major, you can't graduate. And Tootie right. was like, well, I know that, but, and part of me is like, yeah, you know that. And you know why? Because you live with two college students who are exactly. your best friends. That's, yeah. uh, it was a little and bit of a thing, is but. Tootie, uh, she's a senior at this point? Tootie is a junior. So she's a junior. So 16 she years Denver. old. She is a junior. She will be graduating and, the end of next season. And Jeff is a freshman in college. In so college, yeah. Years apart. So I presume that Rich and Ellen are also freshmen. They would have to be, yeah. They would have to be. And so you just go, what, you know. Yeah, two, two years. Years. <sighs> two years isn't a big deal, big difference. Right. But, but big difference. there is a quantum leap you make when you're not in high school Good. and you're at college. Good. Yeah. And you're living alone. I, I, and you I get, don't. You get a little snobby about it. It's true. It's, yeah. It's hazing. It's hazing. Just a little bit. Hazing. Yeah. But when yeah. they come back from their date that night, you have to look say down what? The youngers, you have to look down on the younger people. Yeah, that's such a. Again, that's so uh, high school. Uh, yeah. Hello. Hello. But, um, when Tootie and Jeff come back from the date, though, you can tell Tootie says she feels like she didn't connect with them. She thinks they didn't like her, and he was like, "No, it's fine." So they make plans for brunch the next morning at a place called we've never heard of this before. A place called Flappy Jacks. Yeah. An interesting. interesting fact, I used to dance under that name when I was in college. I'm sorry? <laughs> yeah, I won't uh, I won't tell you where I got the nickname Flappy. I don't want to know. Don't I will not know. tell you which bathhouse uh, gave me that award, but, <laughs> uh, but we're just going to move on, okay? That's, that's okay. private, and I am offended that you're uh, bringing this up, so moving on. Moving on. Moving on. I'm not being defensive. Shut up. <laughs> So they make their plans and Tootie is still deep in thought when they're, even though she's seeing him and she's happy, she's going to see him alone the next morning. She goes up to the bedroom and she's still deep in thought. And we do get this shtick of, they know they have to be up early the next morning to make the croissants and Natalie won't settle in. Blair's like, turn off the light. And then Tootie comes in and the light comes on. So it's one of those Blair, Blair's just never going to get a good night's sleep. <laughs> Has to pull the comforter over her face. Yeah. But it basically ends with Tootie being told what Blair says. She's like, uh, I think it's safe to assume they're fucking. Yeah. And that's why this is this is as close as we get to girl talk, really, on the show about the facts of life. Mm -hmm. So um and I have to point out, I say Natalie is the boy crazy one. Oftentimes that does spill over a little bit into the horny one. Yeah, sometimes. So when she's like, no, they are staying, they're sleeping together. And Natalie's like, really? Yeah. And she's like, yes, good night. Let's go to sleep now. And then before she turns the light out, Natalie's like, so Rich is staying with Ellen? How do you do that? Don't they have roommates? How do they make people not, you know, to, Natalie was like, what is this about? In fact, it was cut from she's the syndicated spinning version. Spinning her fantasy already. Spinning her fantasies already. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, and interestingly, remember, Natalie will be the first one to lose her virginity uh, in season nine. That's coming wow. up in, in just three short years, girl. You're going to get the D. Oh, amazing. Yeah. Natalie was first. That's shocking. Mm -hmm. I, or we just didn't know. Or Blair just didn't tell. 
or um, just no lisa welchel's a christian so blair oh, no there's there's no I mean, even joe, subtle yeah joe is rizzo after all yeah <laughs> i mean she is rizzo uh if not uh cha-cha <laughs> i'm the best dancer at saint bernadette saint bernadette Yo! <laughs> with the worst <laughs> reputation <laughs> well it's on uh this note of 2d going to bed turning off the light and the perfectly placed evening blue gelled spotlight mm -hmm. on mm -hmm. 2d in bed mm -hmm. that we fade to commercial while she is still deep in thought as far as what's wrong with my relationship so this brings us to the commercial dj and during the commercial break, I always like to take a moment to get to know my guest a little better and introduce you to the world at large of my tens of listeners. Hi, world at large. <laughs> so you have such an impressive uh, resume of hey, super... Careful, careful. Uh, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> an impressive laptop. Yes. Yeah, exactly. An, an impressive dog. Yes. You know, when you whipped out your resume and showed me how long it was, DJ, I have to say I was impressed. <laughs> but uh, you have so many uh, professional credits as both a performer, as a choreographer, director. I would like us to please leave us, turn back the clock. Turn back DJ, time. Where were you born? Oh, uh, the actual city that I was born in was Huntington, West Virginia, but that's because the hospital, uh, that was the nearest large hospital to my hometown, which is Louisa, Kentucky. Louisa? So I, yeah, so you could say I was born in Louisa, but I, I was born across the border in West Virginia, but I was raised all of my childhood until I went away to college in wow. Louisa, Kentucky. Kentucky boy, Southern boy, wow. So how did you start getting into performing? Well, to tell the truth of the story, uh, there was there there were no opportunities in my hometown uh, for Derelma. I mean, our town, my town was two thousand people. The mm. population sign when you drive into town says Louisa, Kentucky. Population two thousand. It still says that. <gasps> Jeez. I know. I know. Now <laughs> they're killing them as fast as you're making them. Or people don't stick around, or who knows what. Um, but yeah, it's amazing. Junior in high school, my friend, we called him Lurch. That's okay. Because he was six five. He's probably got taller. He was six five when he was fairly young in his young teens. So I'm sure he probably got a little bit taller. But he was six five at that point. So what does what, when you're six five in a small rural community, high school, what happens to you? Mm. You are pressured to be a basketball player. Mm -hmm. Period. End. Yeah. Um, somehow I didn't get that pressure. I think they knew. <laughs> <laughs> I'm six three, but they did not pressure me. Nice. They knew. Uh, but Lurch, uh, he said. I'm awkward and my basketball coach says I should take ballet to uh, just get to know my body better to get to become more graceful. He didn't whatever he said. It was essentially the idea like to be a little more aware of his physicality um, and not be quite so clumsy as mm -hmm. a growing boy, a tall growing boy can be. But I'm afraid to go by myself. So DJ, will you go to ballet class with me one day a week? Ah. So we would drive about 30 miles, which in that time seemed far nowadays it doesn't seem very far but it seemed like a far uh, hike to another town ashland kentucky to take ballet with miss june khan at miss june khan school of dance and june khan we love june khan she had the big the, the very dramatic uh yvonne de carlo eye makeup 
Oh, and nice. Adams is fantastic. She's always on point in her black leotard and pink tights. Just and love fun, Miss June Con. So uh, we went. I don't think he stayed more than a few weeks. Like again, we would drive one day a week. It was Wednesdays, I remember. Mm-hmm. He stayed a couple of weeks and uh, he dropped out. But I kept going. Ah. And because, as you can imagine, also rural uh, school of dance places, uh, few boys. Mm-hmm. So uh, they gave me a scholarship. I didn't have to pay because they wanted boys. Mm-hmm. And um, so there was myself and one other young. He was, I think, a college age African-American fella. And we were it. So when they did that cracker, we were all the boys <laughs> because we were it. <laughs> But again, it was only one day a week, so it wasn't what I would call real training. Um, although, no, no discredit to Miss June Khan. she was talented as a teacher. Mm-hmm. But you know, I was—it was a hobby. Yeah. So you went to college. Went to college to become a veterinarian with the goal of being a primatologist, because lo and behold, in rural eastern Kentucky, I had monkeys as pets. Okay. I, I know, right? Things you, you're learning more about me, David. You're learning that's, more. Wow, that's new yeah. information. Wow. Yeah, I had, uh, we had three, wait, three squirrel monkeys, not all at the same time. Uh, one capuchin and one stump-tailed macaque. She was big, Samantha. She was, she was something. She had such a big personality, and we actually had to inevitably. She became a little too much for us to handle because they're so smart. They're mm-hmm. so. Smart. Oh yeah. So we found another uh, gentleman who, who who took her from us. But I loved Samantha. She was just a little too much for my family. Well, anyway, um, I knew from a young childhood I was going to be an animal doctor. and Or that's what I had always said. Um, and in college, studying veterinary medicine at Washington University in St. Louis, which mm-hmm. is known for its pre-med program and its pre-law and art uh, and modern dance. Um, I took modern dance and I took acting and my dance teachers and my acting teachers, these are my electives because I was in a very intense pre-med program. Uh, My acting teacher in specific after that first year was the first year of Reaganomics and all of the grant money went away. Uh My family wasn't wealthy and this was a private university. So with all that stuff drying up, there was just no way I could stay but my acting teacher said, we, we think you're, this may be something for you to look into. Uh, and I said, well, I don't think I can afford to stay here if I switch majors. Um, and they went to the dean and did a lot of stuff on my behalf, and there was just no money. So, but, but it was that first year of taking acting class and modern dance that had me go like, oh, I think this is where I should really focus my time. Uh, because and also organic chemistry is hard. <laughs> Fuck yes, <laughs> it is hard. It's like oh, at a competitive yeah. school, organic chemistry is like brutal. <laughs> but uh, so that's when I switched. So that was my odd enough. The path was from pre-veterinary medicine study to modern dance and acting, and I got a scholarship to a ballet school in New York City for the summer. I apprenticed with a puppetry company in uh, St. Louis for the summer right before the the ballet scholarship because I wasn't about to go back to <laughs> Kentucky. <laughs> no, no, no. I was like, no. Once <laughs> you like, totally, I got out of there. Let me find other things. I, I found my tribe. Found my tribe. Oh yeah, God yes. And uh, then I went to uh, SUNY Purchase for a semester, 
And the one all-school production was Pippin. Ah. And I was the leading player. It really was that production of Pippin was what me had me go, oh, this is what I do. Oh. Theater. Uh, breezing forward, came right out of school. I got my performing arts degree back in Kentucky because by then I was poor and it was still <laughs> economics. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I went to an in-state school that had a BFA in performing arts. Um, did that. Even there, I did uh, write a musical for credit and they chose to do it as a full production in the, the my senior year, which was awesome. Uh, I also directed that, uh, my own work. Nice. And I discovered, you know, direction and choreography and writing. This is what I want to do. Um, so I did get a job audition in Nashville, got cast as a world dancer at Epcot Center. My, so my first job out of school was here in Orlando. Oh, that yeah. was right out of school. Okay. Yeah, it was my first, I auditioned in Nashville, but um, interestingly enough, my family had just moved to Orlando while I was still in school. Huh. Because my nephew had cerebral palsy and there were uh, programs here for infants, therapeutic programs for infants with cerebral palsy. So they moved here from Kentucky. So kind of moved to my new hometown, oddly enough. Wow. By the fluke of auditioning in Nashville for Disney World. So I came down, did my uh, 13-month contract, uh, stayed on as a casual temporary because I knew I didn't want to continue doing that particular uh, show, The World Dancers. Nothing wrong with it. I loved The World Dancers, but I just was like, what else? What else? I want to learn more. I want to grow, expand. So I did a breakfast show at the Pioneer Hall called The Melvin the Moose Breakfast Show. Yes, it is a real thing. (laughs) Two actors, a a male and female, uh, Cindy, Cindy Lou and Alabama. And uh, Chip and Dale and Melvin the Moose, the big moose head on the wall. That was the show, breakfast show. Uh-huh. And Pioneer by, Hall is... At Pioneer Hall, where they do hoop to do review. Correct, yeah. But they wanted to see if they could uh, multipurpose the space and do a breakfast show. Um, and it didn't last very long. Mm. Uh, I don't know why, Melvin the Moose breakfast show. You'd think it would be a hit. Mm. But uh, it did not last very long. Um, did that. So I was here in Orlando for a couple years, got my equity card. Oddly enough, I flew up to Pittsburgh to audition while I was a world dancer at Epcot. And if you get cast at Pittsburgh Civic Light Opera, you become equity automatically. Okay. Because of their contract. And this is all, of course, before Disney was equity. Many, many years before mm-hmm. they became equity. Yeah. Uh, but the good news in a certain way was I moved to New York City as an equity member. So I was had that little leg up moving to New York City, which was yeah. beneficial. Um, and so this is what now, the late 80s? Late 80s, yep. I moved up in 80, the spring of 88. Mm-hmm. I did a show pretty much right away at uh, Equity Library Theater, which used to be what Encores is now, where they would do old musicals uh, okay. that, that didn't get productions. They would do uh, small showcase productions. So I did No No Nanette. Mm-hmm. Uh, and met and became friends with uh, uh, Dick Scanlon, who is the book writer for and lyricist for 30 Modern Millie. Great guy. Wonderful mm-hmm. talent. Met a lot of people I still know from there. Um, then I did a show at Paper Mill Playhouse with Susan Stroman choreographing, where I, I believe it was where she learned all of the uh, gimmicks, prop gimmicks that she would end up using in Crazy for You because it's also a Western show. And for those who are not versed, Susan Stroman would go on to uh, do the producers. That would be oh, her big yeah. thing. Many other things. Producers, in addition to that. Yeah. 
Yeah, she's mm -hmm. a she's a fabulous choreographer. I think one of one of our greats. Mm -hmm. um, and then I did a, the original production of Jekyll and Hyde in Houston with Jerry Mitchell choreographing. Mm -hmm. uh, Who we go on to do Hairspray. Hairspray and Kinky Boots and uh, On Your Feet. So many things. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I auditioned for the Will Rogers Follies. Uh, and Tommy Toon, I'd already learned he was, for me, the epitome of great director choreographer. Visionary, creative, inventive. Mm -hmm. I just love his work. Mm -hmm. So uh, I did not make the cut at the end. There were maybe 15 out of the hundreds that showed up that they kept to the very end. And I knew, I was like, well, DJ, I could go home with my tail between my legs or I could step out of my comfort zone because what I really want to do is witness Tommy Toon at work as in the development of a new musical. Mm -hmm. So I took my picture resume, a new picture resume, to the um, dance captain who was there teaching the, uh, the audition combo. I handed her my picture resume and I said very clearly, I said, I understand that I've been cut, but if there's any opportunity for me to watch the process, it would be a, a real gift to me or something like that. Mm -hmm. And she looked a little puzzled, puzzled like, oh, okay, oh, all right. Well, get this. Here's the magic part of the story. The next day, that was a Monday, and, and Tommy loved working in theaters. And the Nederlander Theater where Rent was born, prior to Rent, it had been in a disuse for a number of years because of the 80s, as you might know, 42nd Street was nowhere to go. It was a very, it was no man's land. You did not want to be there. There was a lot of there were porn shops everywhere and mm -hmm. dirty movie theaters and so on. And a lot of drug addicts on 42nd mm -hmm. Street. So this is well before the big cleanup that if anybody goes now, they go, what are you talking about? It's gorgeous. Yeah, and it's it, like it was, a big outdoor mall for all the tourists. Yeah, exactly. You, yeah. did, you did not go to, for, <laughs> you would walk on 43rd Street. And 41st, where the Nederlander Theater is, because it was below 42nd Street, even though it was a Broadway theater for a number of years, nobody wanted to do a show there hmm. because it was below 42nd Street. It's only 41st. But they thought nobody would go there because it's too dangerous. Well, Tommy used that theater as a rehearsal hall because he loved being in a theater to rehearsal show so that you get immediately you don't have to think about how it's going to translate when you get into the proscenium house from a studio you're in a proscenium house you're mm -hmm. designing it on a stage which is awesome so that's where he had done grand hotels national tour rehearsal mm -hmm. a friend of mine abe said we can invite people to the gypsy run which is what they called you know the gypsy run was would be where you invite your friends before a tour we go on the road they would see the last rehearsal in a in a studio usually uh, in mm -hmm. this case in a theater before the tour went on the road so all their friends would come in and, and cheer them on so i was invited to the gypsy run the next day after the uh. will rogers audition which had been on that stage back to that stage the Nederlanders stage and theater to watch Grand Hotel's run through. So, Grand Hotel is a one act. There's no, there's no intermission. I'm sitting there in the back of the house watching Grand Hotel, which I love. Mm -hmm. Great I mean, show. I mean, Tommy. Great Jr. show. 
it, it's it's got Tommy Tune all over it mm-hmm. in terms of his his uh, visionary uh, take. Well, anyway, I'm sitting there watching. I get a tap on the shoulder, and I'm past a note during the show because there's no act break, and it says, "If you're still interested in uh, the Will Rogers Follies uh, being uh, assisting, uh, call this number tonight." I'm like, okay. And I didn't know who it was that handed me the note. I now know. So I called, and this very gruff voice said, I, well, I don't know anything. You have to call me at 7 a.m. in the morning. I'm like, okay. Mm-hmm. So now we're talking Wednesday. That was Tuesday. Now Wednesday, 7 a.m. in the morning, I call. You know I'm going to call. Fuck yeah. And, and it was Phil Osterman, who was the man that brought Tommy Toon from Texas to New York City. Wow. Who they were... Uh, like brothers in a certain sense, but Phil was Tommy's assistant director, associate director on the Will Rogers Follies, and he was his associate director on many things. I don't know if he was in Grand Hotel. It's not in my mind right now, but they were super close. It was Phil that had handed me the note, and it was Phil who said in his gruff manner, I don't know anything. Call me in the morning. 7 a.m. the next day, I call, and he said, can you be in rehearsal 11 today? On Um, Wednesday. (laughs) um, Yeah. And I said, yes. And so then for another week and a half, almost two weeks, I was with Jeff Calhoun, dance captain Patty DeBeck, another dance assistant, Stephen Minning, who is a dear friend, and Cy Coleman sitting at the piano. (sighs) As we're making up the choreography, I was on the team. Man. I know. It was a big Compton and Green. Were the lyricists? Um, they were there in the room too, right? Yeah, they were the the lyricists, and Peter Stone was the book writer, and Willa Kim did the costumes, and Tony Walton did the set, and Peggy Eisenhower, and uh, oh my gosh, my mind just went blank. And partner, oh shoot, lighting. It it was like the A team Mm -hmm. of that moment in time. The A team. Correct. Yeah. Uh, So good. So good. But yeah, the, that was the magic of the story. Of like, I just stepped out of my comfort zone and boom, I'm in rehearsal. Yeah. Uh, and Jeff Calhoun is a friend. We still talk. I'm going to be assisting him on uh, a new off-Broadway musical when we get back to doing those things. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's kind of how it began, you know, just getting in there and learning. I call it my Tommy Tune University days. I was yeah. in Tommy Tune University. I learned from him and from Jeff and from everyone. Um, how you put together a musical. Mm-hmm. The best training ever. Uh, yeah, that you're not going to get if you had enlisted in an MFA Correct. and continued at a, at a college. That's for damn sure. Yeah. Wow. And so I was cast as the swing in the national tour, which I did for two years. I was dance captain and swing for two years. Wow. So that huh. was the beginning of my so like national tour life. I did a tour of My Fair Lady as well that went to Japan. I did, uh, uh, I was, Jeff Calhoun was the director of Greece, the first revival, uh, the neon version. The and, Rosie O'Donnell? Uh, yes. And so I was dance captain on that tour. I was, mm-hmm. After Will Rogers Follies closed, Jeff said, okay, it's, Greece is going out. Will you dance captain and swing Greece? I said, sure. So I did that for a year. Came back, started doing more choreography. I would, whenever I could, I would jump into some choreographic uh, opportunities. Um, started working at Sacramento Music Circus and doing some choreography there and elsewhere. 
Then I did Weird Wild, or, uh, The Wizard of Oz at Madison Square Garden, um, which is technically a Broadway production because it was a production contract, same contract. The mm. reason it played Madison Square Garden, people don't know this, is because it was an existing set from Paper Mill Playhouse. There was not a theater in New York big enough to house the set of The Wizard of Oz. Wow. Except, I know it's interesting, except Madison Square Garden. So did that with Roseanne as the oh. witch. Wow. Then I went on tour with that show um, with Mickey Rooney, Eartha Kitts. Um, yeah. Wow. And yeah. Oh, so such that was, Eartha was amazing. And Mickey was a character. Oh, Mickey. <laughs> and then it was at that point. It was at that point I said, okay, I've performed. I'm glad that I was able to perform and work with these uh, great teachers, mm-hmm. legendary teachers. Uh, now I'm going to do this. I'm going to be a director choreographer. I'm going to stop performing. So in 2000, I did a play, a straight play, uh, and that was my swan song. I did no more performing. Um, and uh, that was in the year 2000. Started continuing to choreograph and began to direct and choreograph. And that's kind of the path I've been on since 2000. Came to Orlando after living in New York City for 30 years, being in and out of New York City because of touring. Mm-hmm. And then also being in and out of New York City because of uh, traveling to do regional theater. Uh, had done Les Mis here in Orlando at Orlando Shakes. I directed it and looked around at the talent pool and said, oh, there's a lot of talent here. Uh, of course, by now, Disney was hiring equity for many of their performers. And saw when I auditioned for Les Mis that there were at least five people that came in with Broadway credits. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, so the talent pool here is not just big. It's also experienced there's it's it's a good talent pool Mm -hmm. so when i was looking around for okay i've been in new york 30 years and winters are hard (laughs) and (laughs) i was directing a lot in vero beach in the winter because their season in vero beach at riverside theater is just essentially from january to uh uh, march april Mm -hmm. and said oh it's kind of great down here in those months kind of great and so that's why i thought well well, I can base myself anywhere. So, you know, people in the theater industry that do what I do and travel, we don't really say this is my home. They say this is my home base yeah. because we do continue <laughs> to travel so much anyway. Yeah. So my home base is now Orlando. Mm-hmm. Having, I know it's, it's okay. It's great. And there's a million more stories I want to hear from you and all that. So I will say having seen, the production of La Cage au Fall that you did at Riverside in Vero. And how long did it just run one weekend before the pandemic? Yeah, one, one full uh, eight show week, one mm. eight show week, which was such a gift. Uh, that it got, yes, that. that people got, it would have been tragic. And there are so many other theatrical stories that are not, not this, so happy. I know. this positive where it's just, it was a glorious production that you directed and choreographed. <sighs> And yes, and the uh, you directed me recently. I did a nice, fun streaming digital production of Ten Ways, Ten Ways to Survive the Zombie Apocalypse for Mad Cow Theater as part of their uh, Halloween uh, streaming show series, and that was so much fun. It was fun, wasn't it? Fun, super fun. We we've talked about other things, other potential projects, and I I'm not saying I I hope to work together it's i cannot wait until when i know we will be working together again likewise sir but dj we have a quandary a conundrum 
Tootie. Tootie. And Jeff. And, Jeff. and so we need to get back to this and return yeah. to is Tootie going to really acquaint herself with the facts of life? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> so we come back from commercial. Tootie is awake, sitting on Natalie's bed. She can't sleep, so she basically needs to process further with Natalie's help. And this is where we drop the idea of things between me and Jeff haven't grown, and I think I need to give him more. And Natalie beautifully says, you don't mean the big more. And she's like, well, it's what college kids do. And I've got to prove to him that I'm not a child. And Natalie's like, you are talking about the big more. Holy yeah. shit. Yeah. I'm paraphrasing. Uh, big more. She did say the big more. Yeah. Natalie does sort of turn. She, she sort of coaches Tootie in a way that is sort of unlike Natalie. Am I wrong? You know, the, Natalie, the boy crazy, horny-ish. Yeah. But I think when the chips are down, it's not that Natalie aspires to be a whore. Right, right. Uh, so I'm sorry, that's a terrible word. Whores do it for money. I mean to say slut. But yeah, uh, yeah when Natalie actually, it's, it's a lovely thing of how protective she is of her friend. It's kind of this, you're doing all this thinking for him. You need to find out what he's really thinking. You're going to see him at brunch tomorrow. Take care of it. And then she says, and promise me, that's all you're going to do right is just have brunch and then she even says repeats it promise me and it's like yeah okay okay i promise mama he lied yeah he lied? Well, i know a little bit little bit because you think she was uh ready so then we come to the the next scene is the conclusion of the croissant conundrum <laughs> the crazy croissant conundrum oh, and Lord. uh the only thing that is of note that we haven't already discussed uh, like I said, this is a B story and it doesn't really have a good payoff. I would have loved for there to be something to the effect of more people buying stuff. Yeah. Or um, I, I don't know what they could have done. No, the idea I that they were serving subpar croissants, that's not good for business. No. If, if they needed a, a, an extra to come in and say, I brought in my coupon and got my free croissant the other day. It was so delicious. I'll take six. Mm hmm. To see that it worked. Yeah. That, that it actually generated a business. What, what would have been, you know what? Here, this is how we're going to fix this as writers. It needed to be, all right, girls, we've got them ready. This is our Sunday morning. Open the door and have there be some people coming in and say, all right, if you just line up, you can get ready for your free croissant and have your coupon ready. And have the first couple of people line and say, oh, we don't have coupons. We gave those to you yesterday. We're here because they were so delicious. We want a dozen each. That's a good payoff. Yes. There could be more people behind them in line with the coupons. Sure. But that's where the payoff would have been that this is going to literally pay off. Yes. Give the business. There the you business. go. Yep. Fixed it. That is what I will be sending back in my time machine to the writers. Uh, they Bobby have a... Bob. Hey, Bob. Hey, Bob. Yep. And then there are three customers who talk during this. So they do get credits in the in the credits at the end of the show. And uh, there are two older women. Uh, the older white woman is uh, Phyllis Ehrlich, and she's still working as recently as 2017 as a wow. character actress. And wow. she's not young here. She's like yeah. she's up there. Um, there is another actress named Adrienne Ricard. 
She's the African-American older woman. She died in 2016 at the age of 92 with 71 credits. So she had a lovely character actor's career. And then the other one of note is the customer with the baby when she demands her two croissants and Mrs. Garrett's like, uh, one per customer. Come the fuck on, lady. Yeah. Right. Says, oh, one is for me and one is for the baby that she's got in a little pouch in front of her. Because babies eat croissants. Yeah. And Mrs. Garrett even says, oh, does the baby want some coffee to go with that? Uh, but she has to honor it because Mrs. Garrett did screw up this marketing campaign. Right. It's like, it's on you. But here's the deal. Mary Birkin is the actress who plays woman with the baby. She has been in the store before. We saw her in season five, episode 22. Oh. That actress. She didn't have the baby then, so we assume that uh, because it was the end of season five, the baby is new. It could technically be the same person. Uh-huh. And uh, she, people will remember, is it's the episode where Cousin Jerry is there and Cousin Jerry takes on too much and can't manage this big fundraising event, but she won't delegate anything because she feels like she has something to prove due to her disability. So uh, at one point, a big, almost naked male statue is wheeled into the middle of the shop. This is the woman who is at the counter getting a dozen ham and cheese croissants. And... Uh, in order to get rid of the statue, Natalie has a little ploy where she says, well, ma'am, you're, it's your lucky day. With every dozen of ham and cheese croissants, you get one of these. And the woman is like, yeah, maybe next time and leaves. But yeah, so we've seen her before and uh, she is clearly a fan of the Edna's Edibles croissant. Uh, but a bit of a moocher. Yeah, exactly. It's like, bitch, you paid for them. You know what they taste like. Uh-huh. What is that about? Uh, so, and then that's it. This is only, this is the second of two appearances. We never see this this uh, bit player actress again. So then we go into the final scene. This is the one in Jeff's dorm. Well, not, not Jeff's dorm, but the dorm room in which Jeff is staying. Yes. And yes, he is there alone. We don't see a sleeping bag. So his friend, yes, definitely banging the girl in the room next Hello. door. Yeah. I do need to point out in this dorm room, it doesn't say specifically whose room it is, but there's a Duran Duran poster over the bed. Next to it is an Iron Maiden poster. That does not go together. No, that's kind of like a a set decorator. What are things the kids listen to? That's schizophrenia. Yeah, it's like those are two very different musical entities from 1984. Uh, Both very big and popular, but not necessarily compatible Uh-oh. to the music lover's palette. Right? But here, Jeff was getting ready. He's he's shirtless, hallelujah, briefly, but he's getting ready to go for a run. Tootie shows up early, and this is where they have their heart-to-heart. And Tootie says, just blurts it out, Jeff, I love you, and if you want us to sleep together, it's okay with me. Yeah, do me. Yep. And and this, and honestly, the, the scene before with Natalie, this whole thing of he needs something more we're not going anywhere that under not not so subtle underlying idea of i need to sleep with my man to keep my man mm-hmm. that is uh, that is such a yeah. teenager mentality i don't think it's gone away i don't think it's a product That's of the times right. it's just yeah. i i hope it's not as prevalent like today I, I have to compromise myself to keep 
uh, it's a it, yeah. I have to compromise myself to keep that thing that I want to be loved by. Yeah. And she says she loves him later in the in the same scene, but it's more about I fear losing somebody that loves me. It seems. Yeah. And and what is it? What's why are we drifting apart? Is it me? What do you want me to do? Yes. That's. I'll, I'll change. Essentially, she says I'll yeah. change. Like she assumes she's the problem. And Amazing. <clears throat> no, yeah. but to his credit, you've got to love Jeff for this. Where when she does sort of throw it out there, he is definitely taken aback and and he is kind of evasive and like, why, where is this coming from? And she's like, well, your friends are fucking, why aren't we fucking? And finally, Jeff does, she does say, don't you want to sleep with me? And Jeff's response is, Tootie, sleeping together isn't going to fix what's wrong. And this is where they get into the true meat of the matter, <laughs> as it were. And, and it's, it's, I, I typically don't like it if it's too oblique, if it's too abstract, where it's like, well, then what's wrong? And he's like, I don't know. I feel like something's different, but I can't put my finger on it. And for some reason, I like that he can't articulate mm -hmm. specifically other than he says something to the effect of, I feel like I'm changing and I'm growing and I don't know what it is, but things are just not the same. Yeah. Yes, and I, I appreciated that too because that I think is very common for mm -hmm. a college boy. Not so common for college boy to have girlfriend come into the room and say, "You, we can have sex if you want." To say, "Oh, what? No." Yeah. <laughs> oh, cool. I was going to break up with you later, but <laughs> let's do it now. But when he said that, I hearken back to the top of the episode where he comes in so excited to see her with a bunch of flowers and like. Mm -hmm. Well, so was that a pretense or it's just that was a little odd like we're led to believe he's still very attached to her and now we're hearing for the first time from him in any way um yeah i'm different and so therefore our relationship is different because he comes in like i can't wait to see my girl yeah well I, I think he didn't know i think he didn't know until they actually got together and interacted and then went out with his friends i think that for him was mm -hmm. A, a real kind of a, a, a moment of perspective of, oh, this is where I am and this is where I was. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, that didn't bother me as much. I like that he came in all happy. I feel like his, I feel like he was absolutely genuine when he brought in the flowers. Oh, oh, horny Natalie line. And when he says, would you give her these for me? And Natalie says, anything else? Uh -huh. he says, well, uh, I'll give her that myself. Yeah. That's at the very beginning. And I'm like, well, if that ain't foreshadowing to <laughs> kind of like anything else you're going to give her. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was a curiosity and uh, very uh, for, foreshadowing, as it were. But by the end, when it's like, let's not do our brunch date. And she says, you know what? You go for that run and he says okay and there's this it's not really a goodbye it's not a really we're breaking up but it's a sense of this there's almost well, a sense of we don't know what this is so we're just gonna kind of step away from it i guess it will step away i got i got the finality from tootie's perspective in the the gesture of taking off the necklace that he gave her yeah the the, the football that she had to shine every day what is it made yeah. of yeah 
<laughs> I know it's yeah, but he did give her that in the very first uh, when she and he first started dating. He absolutely gave her that. That was oh, part it was of very big to take it off and leave yeah. it on his desk. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So there is definitely a finality about it, but they don't say to each other explicitly they're going to break up. You almost feel like when he leaves, it's still somewhat open ended. And then talk about an act of maturity, Tootie taking off the necklace mm -hmm. and slowly placing it on his desk mm -hmm. of her being the one to say this is over. Yeah, that was that's again, that's one of the things I really liked about this episode, even though I'm typically not crazy about uh, ambiguous endings or endings mm -hmm. where you assume something's happening, but it's not being said. Uh, this is this is okay. I was not mad at this episode as a whole, in spite of our uh, thousands of criticisms of it. <laughs> That's what we do. It's my but job. I guess the thing I would say about that decision that she makes at the end, it it again felt a little bit of a leap, given how even in the same scene she says, "I love you," mm -hmm. and you, you we can call it mature to say if he is in question about what our relationship is, uh, that she says, well, if you're in question, then I'm stepping away. That actually is, in, in, from my perspective, an immature response. Mm -mm. To let him be, to, to, to say, I'm leaving because you're questioning, as opposed to, you're questioning, let's figure it out. Oh, okay, I see. So for her hmm. to say, I'm done, that that in my from my perspective psychologically is actually an immature response interesting my thought <laughs> we'll agree to disagree on that it's okay yeah and it also helps to know that they do get back together and get married well, and have a baby see, and then you he dies. know these things that i don't know about <laughs> yeah. what's about to happen we know the future is still it's still looking looking kind of bright there for the two of well, them well and then right? he dies of cte but oh so sad oh so sad so sad at least they have the daughter his, his legacy lives on. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. We want to know. That, that could be a new series. The story of Tisha. The story, hmm. Tisha's, yeah, Tisha's story. And Kim Fields could direct and produce, and that's yeah. what she does now, yeah. And, and Joe could be a cranky old aunt. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Well, we are at the end of the episode. And before I send you on your way, darling, I always like to bump up the nostalgia factor and just say, completely random. Off the top of your head, name a commercial from your childhood. <clears throat> Easy. Mystery date. Are you ready for your mystery date? Don't be late for your mystery date. I don't even know what that is. Is that You're a too young? You're is too that young. a is that a show or is that a is that a product? A commercial. Mystery date. Oh, David. What was a mist? What what was it? Uh, this is a, this is a show and tell that we'll have uh, not on your show. I actually have the game. Oh, oh, it's it's like a board game. Uh huh. That's oh. okay. Now that you say that, that sounds. For, I I literally did not have any clue what that could have been. Do your homework. For. You're going to look for mystery date commercial on Google today. I will post it on the it's website. You, because mystery date. I loved mystery date because it was nice. like every little gay boy's dream. Like there's a door. And you turn the doorknob, and when uh -huh. you open the door, there's a different picture of the of your mystery date. Oh, awesome! I I have to look that up and see now. It maybe it is a little more familiar than I realized, but uh, yeah. But nowadays, of course, we do have it. It's just called Grinder. That's right. That's even more of a mystery date. Yeah, talk of mystery. Pull up. You have no idea. <laughs>
<laughs> well, thank you so much for doing this. I loved this chance to continue to get to know you and learn about your career. And uh, in addition to just being your friend and knowing you're an oh. all around awesome person in my life. You're an awesome person in my life. I'm oh, great for you. Dark. Thanksgiving week. We get to say it all week. I'm so grateful for you. That's Thanksgiving's about being grateful. So I'm grateful for you, my dear. And uh, I hope we'll be able to do this again. I'll have you back on the show. Okay. And we'll, right. we'll agree to disagree and love it. Yes, that's it. We will live in the tension. So smooches, my dear. And goodbye. Mwah. Mwah. Bye. And there you have it. That was DJ Salisbury. How about those Broadway credits, huh? How about the names that he dropped? Isn't that crazy? He's worked with Mickey Rooney and Eartha Kitt and Tommy Toon. And uh, oh, and here's another interesting little tidbit. A couple days after we re recorded this, he and I were hanging out at Epcot and I happened to somehow bring up Adrian's Med, which as you know from listening to the show, my crush on Adrian's Med, starting with Grease 2, it was a very real crush serious and uh dj pulls out his phone and shows me a text string between him and adrian's med i'm like what and he said adrian's med was on the national tour of greece that ran in the 90s playing danny zuko he was like 45 at the time but doesn't matter and so dj is actually friends with him they text uh blew my mind again the uh, other points I didn't get to make on the show that I wanted to. Uh, number one, for how much we've been shitting on some of the acting choices made by Kim Fields in season five, I really think she's quite good in this episode. So uh, just so you know, we're, we're not always going to be critical of that. I hope we've turned a corner in her evolution, in her adolescence, and in her talent. Um, we, we talked about briefly that the new folklore we're making up is that Jeff died of CTE. I'm sure you know what we're talking about. It's the repeated head injury disease that befalls many athletes. CTE stands for chronic traumatic encephalopathy. 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 You see why an actor didn't go to med school? <laughs> yeah. Anyhow, that is the neurodegenerative disease which causes severe and irreparable brain damage as a result of repeated head injuries. That is from the foremost medical authority, Wikipedia. So, moving on. Next week, I'm going to be watching season six, episode five, called Cruisin'. And that's a pretty special, iconic episode, very different from the rest of the series. It's a lot of firsts, a lot of one-time things that they never did before and will not do after. So that is a very special episode, and you know I need a very special guest to take the journey with me. So Matthew Arter is going to be back. Yes. You can watch the episode for free at dailymotion.com. <laughs> no more on the Roku channel. <laughs> I will post a link in the show notes and on the webpage. That's all for now, guys. As always, thank you so much for listening to this week's show. And remember, the facts of life are all about you. Let's Face the Facts was produced, written, hosted, and edited by me, David Almeida. My theme song was beautifully arranged and recorded by Ned Wilkinson. 
Our website is facethefactspod.com. You have to drop the let's. And that's where you can find extra pictures, video, and audio extras from the digital cutting room floor. Follow the show on social media. We're everywhere under the handle FaceTheFactsPod. You can become a patron of the show by going to patreon.com slash FaceTheFactsPod. And don't forget, go to your favorite podcatchers and subscribe, rate, and review. Tune in again next week for another thrilling episode of Let's Face the Facts. <laughs>